Hi, and welcome to the Unashamedly Human podcast, a podcast created to help you get out of your head and into your life. That is, if you want to have more fun, freedom, happiness, peace of mind, and success whilst squeezing the juice out of every area of your life. Join Jackie Ford every Thursday and listen in to her warm Scottish tones, wise heart and wonderful sense of humour as she interviews guests and discusses what it means to be unashamedly human. Hi everyone and welcome to the Unashamedly Human podcast. We're on season two, episode three. And if you love this podcast, please take a look at season one. I think there are about 102 episodes there for you to listen to in your own time talking about what it means to become unashamedly human. That gorgeous dance between your psychological nature and your spiritual nature, which in essence are not two separate things, two sides of the same coin. We are, as human beings, both spiritual and psychological. So we're looking at that gorgeous dance between one and the other to enable us to get out of our heads and into our lives. So all you overthinkers out there, all you worriers, all of you analyzers, we're not saying what you're doing is wrong, but there's a better and easier way to understand what's going on in your mind. So I am delighted you're here listening to the Unashamedly Human podcast. This month we've been looking at getting curious about life, you know, examining the concepts and beliefs that we have about how life really works. How does our psychology work? What does it mean to be spiritual in nature? What is thought, etc, etc. So this week I thought I'd have a lovely little chat about beliefs and how a belief that I held for over four decades held me back in life and just disappeared without me having to do anything about it. And the strange way that I found some research about it after I decided that this was the thing that I wanted to talk about. Very strange, but I love the way the universe works. Okay, so we all know what a thought is. A thought is a gorgeous, neutral, transient energy. Each human being has between 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. Nobody knows where they come from, but we know they pass through our minds with about 95 to 98% of them on repeat. Always a lesson there for us. Thoughts come and go, much like the clouds. They move along in their own way. So let's look at beliefs. Beliefs are just a collection of thoughts that over time you have gathered together neatly in a little parcel and decided, this is something I believe in. And your brain will look for similar ways that things are happening to put them all together and say, that's a belief. And beliefs are really slippery, actually. And it's interesting that my job involves frequently identifying other people's distorted beliefs, understanding how they form them themselves, and then helping them be more sceptical of their own beliefs. Because it's interesting how people just get completely caught up in what's going through their minds, not recognising that it's information, not fact. So... Beliefs are our brain's way of making sense of and navigating our complex world. They're really only mental representations of the way our brains expect things in our environment to behave and how things should be related to each other. It's kind of like the patterns our brain expects the world to conform to. Beliefs are templates for efficient learning and are often essential for survival. 
Our brain is a very energy expensive organ. So it's kind of developed these energy saving techniques. And as a prediction machine, it takes shortcuts for pattern recognition as it kind of processes the vast amounts of information received from our external environment by its sense organ outgrowth. So from our taste, our smell, our touch, et cetera, et cetera. Beliefs allow the brain to distill complex information, helping us quickly categorize and evaluate information and unfortunately jump to conclusions quite a lot of the time in the wrong way. So for example, beliefs are often concerned with understanding the causes of things. So if B is closely followed by an A, then A might be assumed to have been the cause of B. For example, I'm in a bad mood and my husband caused me to be in a bad mood. Hmm, that's not necessarily so. <laughs> in fact, it is not so. I'm the only person that can put myself in a bad mood. Anyway, these shortcuts to interpreting and predicting our world often involve connecting dots and filling in gaps, making extrapolations and assumptions which are based on incomplete information and based on similarity to previously recognised patterns. So often I find my clients in jumping to conclusions, their brains have a preference for familiar conclusions, ones that have happened over and over again. For example, having a feeling about something and that feeling, they jump to a conclusion that that feeling means something. So if something has happened to them, they've felt a feeling of being scared. The next time they get that feeling, they interpret that feeling as, oh, I'm scared. When in fact, all that's happening is the brain has identified something, come up with a conclusion because it recognizes a pattern and then gives you information. And I'm going to say this again. It gives you information not fact. So our brains are prone to error. <laughs> Imagine that. Eh? And sometimes we see patterns where there are no patterns. Now, this can, may or may not be subsequently identified and corrected by our brain's error detection mechanisms. So really, it's a trade-off between our brains working efficiently, efficiently and accurately. So I love this. I really, really love when this happens. As human beings, we have this, this ability to have huge sweeping generalizations about things. So we decide that all people are unkind or all of those cars are not a very good make of cars. And so we've developed this, something happened with the car that I used to have. So say, for example, it was um, uh, a Skoda. So I had a Skoda and, and, and it broke down several, several times and therefore all Skodas are rubbish. Or every time I meet this person, I, you know, I really don't like them. I don't like the energy about them. Therefore, every time in the future when I'm going to meet this person, it's going to be exactly the same. So our brain is making these huge sweeping generalizations, these patterns. And then as human beings, what we're doing is we're using the gift of mind, thought and consciousness to predict the way things are always going to be. And in that prediction, we have what I would call confirmation bias. And this is the tendency of people to favor information that confirms what they believe. And confirmation bias keeps happening when a person gives more weight to the evidence 
that confirms their beliefs and undervalues the evidence that could actually disprove it. And I find this all the time with the people that I work with. If they're feeling that their anxiety is caused by X or their business isn't growing because of X, they will look for ways to confirm that in their own minds. So they'll gather or recall information selectively. Or when they interpret the information, they do it in a biased way. It's almost like they've got biased glasses on. That The only way they can see things is through that glass of bias. And it's interesting because the more emotional we are and the most, more emotionally charged issues that we're dealing with, and if we have deeply entrenched beliefs about people or things, then that confirmation bias is even stronger. We're looking for information that supports rather than rejects our own preconceptions. And we ignore evidence to confirm existing beliefs. And we don't reject, or we do reject, all the conflicting data. Now think about times in your own life when that's happened. You know, if you were to look at times where you had a fixed idea in your head of, of how an event was going to turn out or how people were going to be at a party you were going to or how a work conversation, a difficult conversation was going to happen or even in a sales call with a client or, you know, an organisation where you're pitching your idea or you're pitching your offering and in your mind, you've already convinced yourself that that person is going to say they don't want to buy it. You're going to come from that space, therefore, that's what you're going to see, that's what you're going to feel. And more often than not, that's what's going to happen. So that's what we would call biased interpretation. That means that that type of bias explains that people interpret evidence with respect to their existing beliefs by typically evaluating, confirming evidence differently than evidence that challenges in their preconceptions. So how does this have an impact in our life? How does having beliefs that we are so fixed on that have been born of experiences we've had when we've been much younger, how can that have an impact on us in later life? Now, you think about things that have been happening in the world and, and still happening in the world, it's kind of like you look at politics. You know, if, if we're looking for information, we're actually looking for information to confirm our own perspective. And many people actually then ignore any information that contradicts the view that they're looking for. It's a very subjective way of looking at the world. And, and I wonder how often you do that, not just in politics, but with friendships, with your children, with your families. How often are you looking for things in a way that you're really just looking for confirmation that the belief that you have is the right belief. Also, we look at changes in our thought. You know, if, if we can expand our, our reading and our information gathering, we have this opportunity to widen our knowledge, widen our capability of being curious about the world and learning and taking on information without having the need for that information to be right, without having to need that information to be correct. 
just enjoying the information as information. I know that many of the clients that I have, when we're looking at up-leveling their businesses, we're looking at their, their sales projections, their sales targets, we're looking at selling, we're looking at their, you know, who is their ideal client base, etc. What I find is they have very, very strong beliefs about what they want and what they don't want without knowing where these beliefs have actually come from. And when we get to explore them, it always fascinates me that it comes from something that is not necessarily helpful. It's just a, a deep confirmation bias about an event that's happened in their life that, or something they've read that they feel is right, which it may be, but it might not be right for them. So let's look at the way that beliefs and confirmation bias can really hold us back in life. And the example that I'm going to give you guys is really quite an interesting one because it's a story about a bumblebee. I mean, hello, <laughs> a story about a bumblebee. Yeah, because as is in this way of understanding how the world works, through the understanding of the principles and other spiritual teachings, often what happens is when you get to the root source of why you think a certain way, where the conditioning has come from, what that conditioning actually means, um, you get a chance to identify whether it is true or whether it isn't true. And sometimes we have these insights and these insights come with content but in this case, the story I'm about to share with you was an insight that came without content. So I didn't know what particular story or thought had changed it. All I know is that a phobia that I had had for over four decades just completely disappeared. And in that act of that phobia completely disappearing, other areas of my life changed dramatically too because I saw that something that I had innocently held on to, a belief that I had confirmation bias, was made up, completely made up, as is all of our thoughts and beliefs and confirmation bias. So, as a kid, my, I have two brothers. I'm in the middle of two brothers. Lovely guys. Really, really lovely guys. There's two years between each of us. And growing up, one of our neighbours had this lovely little garden and it attracted a lot of bees and wasps in the summertime. And back in the 60s, it was, it was quite a, a cool thing to collect bees and wasps in glass jars and put the lid on them for some reason. And I remember my brothers and other people doing that, collecting the bees and wasps in the jars and, and, and examining them. And you can imagine that if a bee or a wasp has been cooped up in a glass jar, it's not going to be very happy by the time it gets out. And I remember my brothers in particular opening the glass jars and quite close to me. And I remember the sound, the terrible sound of the bees and the wasps. And in some way, shape or form, I remember the bees or wasps coming near my head 
And it, it was really scary. It really, really frightened me as a, you know, a five or a six-year-old kid, um, you know, that this was happening. So I developed a, a phobia about bees and wasps, which meant for the next four decades, I hated sitting out in the garden if there was flowers in the summer because the bees and the wasps would come. I hated picnics. I despised barbecues. I remember once walking along the road um, in my full business suit. I worked in the pharmaceutical industry for over, well, almost 30 years. And I remember walking along the road in my nice suit and my high heels and I was carrying my briefcase. And there was about two or three wasps came near me, near my head, near my ears. And I got the fright of my life so much so that I, in the middle of the city centre of Glasgow, threw my briefcase down and ran away screaming like a banshee. Quite embarrassing, actually, but I was petrified. I, I, I was so scared and, and I tried hypnotherapy, I tried aversion therapy, I tried NLP to get rid of this phobia because it was awful. You know, it was really having an impact on my life. You know, I couldn't enjoy things with the kids in the garden. I just wasn't interested. It was just too much. Even sometimes I'd be sitting and, and all of a sudden I would hear a noise and I would actually cower because the sound sounded like a wasp or a bee. And it was really just people cutting their grass or using their strimmers, but the sound, that angry sound had been with me for years and years of these bees and wasps coming out of the jars. And it just, it was too close for comfort. So all through my life, I've carried this phobia. And about 12 or 13 years ago, I came across this understanding we speak of known as the principles. And I just went about my way, just learning and, you know, insights were coming beautifully and it was all lovely. But I had never had an insight into why I had this phobia. Other insights into, you know, another phobia I had about, um, about heights, about being in boats um, and the water. They all... I got to see through them. I got to see where the root cause of that was coming from. But I'd never had a conscious insight as to why I was having this, this phobia about bees and wasps. <clears throat> and then one day I was in my office at home, just sitting on my computer, working away. The window was slightly open because it was a warm day. And all of a sudden I heard this buzzing sound. And I looked over at the window and there was this huge, big, fat bumblebee on the window. Now, normally, that would have been my cue. <laughs> get out of the room, close the door, wait for Jerry to come home and he'll get rid of the bee. You know, that would be my work done for the day. <laughs> there would be no way on earth I would be going back into that room. But that particular day, something different happened. I didn't go into fight or flight. I didn't go into my confirmation bias. I didn't go into all the beliefs that I had about bees and wasps, et cetera, and the story. That day, something new and fresh happened. The fresh thought that came through was, <laughs> quite surprisingly, that bee is tired. 
from that insight, that bee is tired, I found myself Googling, what do you feed a bee that's tired? And as always, Google gave me an answer and that answer was sugar water. So without any extra thought, I went downstairs, I prepared some sugary water, I brought it back upstairs into my office. The big bumblebee with its buzzy, buzzy sound was still sitting on the window. And I found myself putting a little saucer of sugary water right beside the bee on the windowsill. And then I sat back down at my computer and just worked away. And about an hour later, I looked over at the window and the bumblebee had obviously had some sugary water and disappeared. And I never thought anything else of that. And when Jerry came home, I was talking to him about it and he said, do you not see what's happened, Jackie? I said, yeah. I said, I sat in a room with a bumblebee and it never bothered me. There was something there that just didn't bother me. And I thought it was just because I was in this kind of Zen space because I've been working with clients all day. So we tested it out in the garden. I sat in the garden, the bees and the wasps were all flying about. Nothing. I was quite happy. I actually got to the point where I was putting out my hand to see if the bees would land on my hand. It was just beautiful that, that something had shifted without me having to do anything about it. And up to this stage in my life, I'd never been stung by a bee or a wasp. And I thought that was really curious. And even though I was comfortable with the bees and I was okay with the wasps, I was petrified that one day I might get stung and have an anaphylactic reaction to one of their stings. So I was always cautious. I was more relaxed, but I was always cautious. So you can see here how we can create story and story that supports a belief, a thought. And that thought is so seductive and so real that you can't see outside of it until something proves that it's not true or you have a fresh thought, insight, that tells you something to the contrary, or someone points that out to you to look in a completely different direction. So I was delighted that after four decades, this phobia that I had carried for so long and had caused me quite a few issues in life had just suddenly disappeared. But I was still holding at some level to some other thought, some other belief about that story. And if you remember, last week I spoke about this. I said, you know, insight is really a one and done. You know, most people don't have the one insight that just completely transforms their whole life. Most of us get these gorgeous little insights that just dissolve story, dissolve belief and help us see things in a new and a fresh way. So I went to visit my, um, my husband and I went to visit my in-laws the other week there and we were in the garden and I was just quite comfy, not bothered. You know, the bees and the wasps have got gorgeous flowers and, you know, all around their garden, we're just sitting chatting. And I went into the house to, um, 
to get a glass of water. And while I was in there, I went to my handbag to pull out my phone. And as I put my hand in my bag and pulled my hand back out again, I felt this sharp pain on my hand. And it was a pain I'd never felt in my life before. And I went outside and then this fresh thought came to mind again. And it was like, I think I've been stung. And right enough, on my thumb, there was an indent. So it wasn't a bee sting because obviously the sting would be, you know, the tail would be hanging out. It was a wasp sting. And immediately I started to have, oh my God, I need to keep an eye on this. What if? So I went straight into story and I could feel this, you know, bubbling up inside of me, which was gorgeous because I got to notice noticing my thought processes and, and where my mind was going. So I knew that it wasn't true, but I knew there were practical steps that I needed to take to keep an eye on what was happening because I do tend to have a, a, an, an overactive immune system. So I looked at where the sting mark was and I drew a circle around it. And then that circle of inflammation started to grow and then it grew even more. And as the circle grew, the thoughts in my mind grew about, oh my God, what's happening here? Am I going to have an anaphylactic reaction? Is this going to calm down? What's going to happen here? And then all of a sudden, I remembered to breathe big, deep, slow breaths to see that all that was happening was I was having a new experience, one that I'd never had before. And I had an opportunity in that moment to add to a pre-existing story that wasn't true, information that wasn't necessarily true in the moment either. Or I had an opportunity to see things in a completely different way and to let it unfold in front of me. With the deep breaths came calmness. With the calmness came the ability to see things safely, calmly, and with clarity. I wasn't having an anaphylactic reaction. Sure, I was having a skin reaction, but all was well. All was well. In that moment, all was well. And in another moment, if it wasn't well, I would know. So the point of sharing with you this simple story about a bee, this simple story about a sting, is to show you how we can carry stories throughout our lives and then how we can look for information that backs up those stories so that we either keep ourselves small or we keep ourselves limited. In some cases, it's to keep ourselves safe. And it was interesting that we decided that this was what I was going to speak to you guys about this week and the podcast, continuing this theme about getting curious about life. I then opened a book. And in that book, about sort of 20 pages in, the author started talking about false memory. And essentially, this is what's happening to all of us. We think that when we lay down memories, that they're accurate. 
100% accurate. That's what happened at the time. And as I explained to you earlier, that's not actually what happens. Our brains take shortcuts. They code information as memories in a very quick way with snippets. And, and it's based on the filters that we're seeing these beliefs through at the time. And in this book, the author actually used a story about bumblebees. And I thought, oh my God, how perfect is this? I'm going to be talking to you guys about bumblebees. And here's some research that shows bees having false memory. So in this, this article, which was actually published in a, in a, in a journal, um, Catherine Hunt and Lars Chiquita, they wanted to see if they could create false memories in bees. And the research was actually published in 2015. And what they looked at was getting the bees to go to certain flowers to get pollen. And they created different colours of flowers because bees have really quite a highly socialised, um, a highly evolved social life, <laughs> which is probably better than mine is at the moment in the middle of lockdown. They've got complex communication systems and they've got this incredible ability to learn new information. And so their memories seem to work in a kind of similar way to our own. And it really makes them quite a good study to, to learn about memory, human memory. So in this research, they got the bees to go to three different types of flowers, different colours. And the bees learned that they would go to these three different colours of flowers and they could get pollen from them. And then they introduced, introduced another flower. And what happened was the bees went to that flower too. But because they'd gotten pollen from the other flowers, they didn't associate that this, this new flower, that they weren't actually getting pollen from it. So the researchers then removed um, two of the flowers out of the way. And the bees just kept going back to this flower that had the beautiful colours, but didn't actually give them any pollen. So they developed this false memory about this particular flower. Now, I thought, God, if bees can do that, humans do it. We do it all the time. Yet we're not aware of it at all. So my invitation for you guys is to hold, to hold life lightly, to, to stay curious about life, to become more aware of the beliefs that you hold and to see through any confirmation bias that you have about those beliefs and to notice noticing if those beliefs and confirmation bias are actually helping you or hindering you holding you back in life and whilst doing all of that to remember that the gifts of mind thought and consciousness are truly a gift to be able to see thought to be aware of it to understand that <laughs> what we think isn't necessarily true and to be okay with that, then life just becomes easier and it becomes simpler because we're not holding ourselves back because of a single thought that is visible to us. I hope you will join me in the Unashamedly Human Life School. 
and the Unashamedly Human Life Coach School, which is for coaches and trainers, which is coming later this year in September. The Unashamedly Human Life School is starting sooner and um, we're going to be talking about all of these topics, getting real with psychology, getting real with our spiritual nature, but doing it in a very pragmatic and ordinary way. I love the spiritual woo, but really what interests me is helping people live a life that is extraordinarily ordinary so that you can be more resilient, be more in life, feel happier, but also be okay when you're not in that space so that you can understand any stories or conditioning that have held you back so that you can then break any, any chains or cycles of dysfunction that have been in your family for years. I know that everything I've learned over my 30 years of spiritual searching and psychological searching have really helped me and they've really helped everyone that I've worked with, including my family. So thank you again for listening to the Unashamedly Human podcast. I hope you found this talk about beliefs and thoughts and confirmation bias and bumblebees extremely interesting. And uh, remember to be kind to the bees. We need them. All my love and I'll speak to you all soon. Take care. Bye.